You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Warren Fay is the lead writer for WowWee, generating creative content for their line of advanced robotic toys. He lives in San Diego, California, and his new book is A Fragment. Thank you for joining me, Warren. Hi, thanks, Rick. This is a really interesting book, and I have to wonder, did you just have a really bad shrimp dinner one day? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, Actually, uh, if you dissect a lobster while you're actually eating a lobster, I think you can get all kinds of nightmares. I would imagine so. Now, this book has a has a very interesting concept at its core. Um, it's set on on a remote island that proves to be uh, quite deadly to the to the, everybody who steps foot upon it. So, tell us a little bit about um, what what uh, made you write this book. What what was the core that made you say, "I want to write a book about this island"? Well. Uh... Initially, I wanted to write a novel that was just pure fun, and uh, my sense of fun is uh, is a little uh, well, not too unique. I think a lot of people have the same sense of fun, but um, it, it definitely involves science, which is really no more than the world around us mm-hmm. you know, put into words, and uh, which is a fascinating uh, um, place that we uh, live in. And uh, so, to to take it to its extreme edge. And look for some place where, where, well, that's where adventure happens. And one of the things I had been studying at the time, when I when I first got the inspiration for the novel, was uh, the the caves in um, the, the Mobile caves in Romania, uh, which had been sealed off for five million years, and 33 new unrecorded species were discovered living in a giant cathedral-sized cavern. Uh, with a lake at the bottom covered with a gray fungal mat that was growing in complete darkness. And uh, the entire system was based on chemosynthesis instead of photosynthesis. And all of these animals were based on this strange, growing, ugly mat of of fungus that grew on the the top of the lake like a lid. And uh, it was so creepy and, and so alien that I, I started to think, uh, wow, well, what if the, any if an isolated system uh, was combined with the, the time-tested uh, idea of, the, of a lost world island? And thus was born Hender's Island. That's right. <laughs> this is a really wonderful place, and, and you just have a lot of fun with it. Let's talk about uh, the some of the, the concepts here. This is an island where evolution has taken a different turn than it took on the, the mainland. So tell us uh, about um, how you went about developing the ecosystem for this island. But this is not an ecosystem that's particularly uh, compatible with ours, is it? No, it's not. And uh, there, of course, are um, historically, um, the story of life on Earth has been uh, um, punctuated with huge upheavals that have happened when Systems developed in isolation collided with each other. Uh, various land masses have been separating and colliding throughout Earth's history. And when they come back together again, a whole cast of characters that don't uh, get along crash into each other. And that concept, uh, combined with, um, with the idea of, of an isolated ecosystem that, had, that was developed from truly ancient times, uh, suddenly uh, 
rekindled uh, the the concept for for Henders Island. Now uh, I have to ask: Did you start? The, did you completely um, create the ecology for this island because it's really unique and really it's totally entertaining? <laughs> it's something you can just go back and explore in your mind afterwards. Did you create this before you started actually working out the plot of the novel? Well. Um, no, I didn't. Actually, I, I, I got the idea for the novel and then decided, all right, what I have to do is uh, march back the clock to the Cambrian era, where if you look, at the, if you look in Stephen Jay Gould's book, Wonderful Life, you'll see just the most alien and, and phantasmagorical animals you could possibly imagine. Uh, things with five legs and you know seven eyes and just odd numbers of of limbs and and sense organs and uh, all swimming together in this giant soup and it, it was so fascinating that that animals that we we figure that only a few of those groups of those animals actually proceeded from there to to make all of the animal groups we know today but many of them just died off at that point and of course the the Ediacaran, uh life before that is there are no remnants of that and it's completely mysterious to us so i thought if we went back that far and then marched forward on on a different path we would have to end up with something so alien it would look like a completely different planet and that was the the basis for uh, for beginning to put together the architecture of the ecosystem um as you started to create the creatures of this island, they're just so much fun. Uh, did, did you draw them out first and say, I want something to look like this? And, and how much of this came from looking at existing creatures on this earth and the existing islands on this earth? Absolutely, quite a bit. And uh, quite a bit came from, from looking at existing animals and then uh, marching forward into different directions. Uh, we, we know that DNA um, does this, the Hox genes, for instance, um, uh, manipulate uh, the, and mutate uh, different numbers of legs uh, on animals to an astonishing degree. Um, we have mutated fruit flies to have, for instance, you know, uh, ten legs um, instead of six. And uh, so just a, a small manipulation of the Hox gene can, can completely change the configuration of wings and eyes and legs on animals. Um, so tweaking that, knowing that that was a mechanism that is a true mechanism, and has determined the the branching of life forms. I decided, well, okay, let's start with that. This is a nice basis, and now let's make it just as scary as we possibly can, and uh, something that looks so alien that uh, you don't feel like you belong in the same place with this thing. Uh, I just love the monsters in this book. This is, uh, I think, um, arguably one of the most creative and uh, wonderfully enjoyable books describing a variety of monsters that, that I've ever encountered. And I'm something of a monster hound, so I, I feel that I, I speak whereof I know in this manner. So uh, could you t uh, talk about uh, just um, as you created these monsters, it, it, one of the things that's nice is they kind of, they're not just um, killing machines. They all have kind of unique little characters. And talk about creating a new life form as a character in a novel. Well, um, one of the things, one of the great uh, requisites of of uh, a good adventure story is that it that all everything is believable and seems as credible and real as something you would find in your backyard. And so, my my mission was clear. I I, I worked with scientists and artists um, to to evolve these creatures in a realistic way, in the most realistic way possible. And early on, um, I understood that there would have to be a lot of explanations 
scientific explanations for how the fluke of Henders Island came about and could be isolated for such an enormous amount of time. And so because of some of those issues that, uh, and answers that would, would service that premise, I called uh, upon uh, certain scientists and experts, one of whom uh, works and researches at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution, or actually the Marine Biology Lab at, at Woods Hole, and asked him a very arcane question about osmo, hypoosmoregulation in crustaceans. Um, he gave me a very detailed answer, and then asked me what kind of novel I could possibly be working on that I needed the answer to that question. <laughs> uh, and I explained the premise to him, and he said, well, count me in. That's fantastic. I'll help you. Um, so he, he's been a great um, uh, uh, consultant throughout the process of developing these animals. His name is Don Lovett. And um, so he uh, and, uh, and other scientists um, and artists worked with me over the uh, period of research to, to make these creatures come to life in a, in a credible way. And um, that, that's the key. If, if, if you can believe these things are real, then you can have a lot of fun. And, uh, but it's the author's job to make you believe that. Well, it's certainly a lot of fun, and it's certainly really quite believable as you because the descriptions are so vivid, and, and everything fits together so nicely. You really get the feeling that this is an ecosystem, and in a way, this is kind of this novel strikes me as the ultimate expression of the kind of eco fiction and science fiction we saw back in the '60s, '70s, and '80s. You think about Dune, where he created an entire ecosystem, was one of the classics of science fiction genre, and you've just kind of taken this and not just used it, but you focused it and concentrated it on this with laser-like clarity on a small island where you populated it with a, a, a wonderfully varied creatures, including plants, too. And, and the plants are just as unfriendly as the animals, aren't they? Yes, they are. Uh, in fact, they're, they're uh, related to, uh, to, to animals. Uh, so it's a, it, was, um, it was great fun creating a, a sort of a, uh, ecosystem as like a Swiss watch. Everything has to work together and balance itself. Um, so it doesn't completely destroy itself. And to create something that's so high-octane and so violent and yet still um, be a plausible, viable ecosystem was the great challenge. Uh, so that as soon as you step into it, you feel like you're, um, you're uh, almost a silent uh, black-and-white movie stepping into a, a color uh, sound movie, a technicolor exciting thriller movie, and you don't belong there and you can't possibly survive more than a few minutes. <laughs> that, that's a great that's a great explanation and as you described it i was just thinking of hender's island as like a switch watch that's a, you know about two and a half miles wide and full of gears into which you drop various characters some of whom we actually come out whole <laughs> so quite surprisingly but <laughs> yeah, uh, i was surprised but with a little help absolutely yes they they managed to uh, mostly uh, the ones who walk away uh, have a little more help uh, in a mysterious way that we won't talk about but well, one of the things that, that I loved about this book, and, and I found it fairly shocking, was how quickly you would create characters we liked or didn't like. And, and this, the, the, the premise here is, is that uh, a, a reality show chock full of attractive uh, marine biologists comes to, to Hender's Island. <laughs> and then uh, I, was, I was actually, I have to say, I was pretty shocked at, at how quickly you dispose and violently and messily <laughs> and with you know a a, a splatteringly you uh, disposed yeah. of these people <laughs> <laughs> well um it it probably reflects a little bit of my writer's scorn for reality shows 
um, the rally show is the ultimate um, uh, insult to the writer uh, because it eliminates the writer entirely um, from the from the show. And um, so it was nice to be able to eliminate the reality show entirely from the book, <laughs> <laughs> which you which you really quickly did. And I think that was a nice twist. Now, uh, as one of the things that 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 I love about this book is the uh, the the um, not just the way in which you worked out the ecology, but in the way that you've uh, paid similar attention to the plot, because um, what happens here is really quite believable. It escalates quite quickly, and I was wondering if you were going to go as far as you did, and you do. So talk about having created this this unique ecology. You have to create an ecology of plot and characters as well, don't you? Yes, yes, absolutely. There, there are many, many layers to, to a, a good thriller, uh, and, and people who, who uh, sort of think, well, thrillers, that's an easy thing to knock off. It, it's not. Um, you have to take it um, very seriously. It's a, there are lots of moving parts, and they all have to mesh together uh, and to make it effortless so that you feel like you're just zipping right through. Um, you can't get bogged down in too many character details, but the character details that I try to include are always the tip of an iceberg so that they are coming from a true place for each person. I think if people slowed down and read it a, a, a bit slower, they might appreciate the characters a bit more. But <laughs> it's the bane of a thriller writer that if the, the faster somebody reads through, the, the more they're skimming the surface of the characterizations. So uh, it's it, it's it, it also, of course, there what you say is true about um, <clears throat> the dimensions of the creatures on the island that are deeper than just your monsters or, or beasts. Uh, and that was that was a twist which. Uh, I felt brought it to a level that um, that we take for granted in our world. That, for instance, we emerged from a background of of uh, you know dog eat dog jungle, uh, and we actually these uh, our human qualities emerged from that. Um, and um, that's something that we kind of take for granted to the point where it can be a shock that that can happen in any other context. It, this book is one of the most visual novels I've read in in a long, long time. It really plays immediately like a a, a big screen movie on on the, in the reader's mind as you because the the descriptions are vivid and and again this is another kind of ecosystem of orchestration. Could you talk about uh, creating the visuals? How many of these creatures did you draw for yourself or have somebody create drawings of? Well, um, there were there were. Well, an entire ecosystem, so that there were probably about fifty or sixty um, different creatures that were uh, brain, that I brainstormed and, and designed in thumbnail sketches, and then handed into the Darwinian process of scientists and artists um, to to complete and to finish and refine. Uh, and that was necessary in order to just literally create the entire jungle. Um, there's, so there's a lot more that than is on the page that was necessary just to represent any individual uh, player in the story. Uh, there had to be a whole idea, a whole concept of everything on the island before I could just pluck something out and make it instrumental in the story. Uh, it, it had to be absolutely uh, believable from a naturalistic point of view. So that was, that was great fun. And also, um, I, um, I, we are in a generation, I think that most authors really don't, take advantage of this as, as often as they should. But we're in a, a post-television, post-movie generation. We've all seen all of these movies, all of these television mm-hmm. shows. Yeah, yeah. It's part of our subconscious. It's part of our collective psyche. 
And uh, I decided to just play that like a church organ and just say, look, we all understand all of these things out there. We all have references to, to all of these favorite movies of ours. Now I'm going to use those and, and add some twists and, and, and play on your expectations and, uh, and actually use them to, uh, to psych you out and to fake you out in certain instances. So a lot of people might look at some things and go, oh, that's a cliche, I've seen this before. But later in the book they'll find out that I used it in order to do something quite different. One of the things I love about this book, too, is that uh, this is actually one of those few books where the characters have actually seen the movies that they needed to see going yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's so crazy to have characters who act like they're from a different planet and haven't mm -hmm. seen the same pop culture that we all have. Uh, if we were in a situation like that, that's the first thing that would come to our minds, and we would be making remarks of, of that nature, too. So I thought, look, let's not pretend that they're living in a, a different universe. Uh, they're here, too, and they're one of us, and they're going to think the same things. Uh, as a writer, you're, one of the things you mentioned, you're, we're in a post-TV, post-movie age. We're also in an age where, um, and one of the real pleasures of this book is where as you're reading this book, you can go, oh, wait, 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 i got to look that up. And then you can go actually on the web to Wikipedia. And I looked up these, I think, the, one of the core critters at, 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 the, at the center of your evolution is a particularly nasty kind of shrimp. Oh, the mantis shrimp. <laughs> yes, an incredible animal, and, and one that does seem to have come from an alien ecosystem. Uh, it is, it, it, I urge anybody, I, I hope it does... You know, actually uh, increase interest in this animal. So astonishing in so many ways. Um, its its uh, visual uh, acuity is, is simply astonishing. It sees millions of colors that we can't see. Uh, it can track uh, prey at, at such great speed um, that it would just be a blur to us. It, it's, it's, uh, it, it's the force of its uh, strike uh, is equal, equivalent to a twenty two caliber bullet. It can break out of uh, safety glass in, in aquariums. It is uh, to see it in action, and you can. You can go to YouTube and watch them just demolishing all of their uh, adversaries. It's, it's really quite astonishing. And, and um, that, w that, to me, felt like, okay, this, this is something that ha it, it looks so alien from any, any other animal in, in its environment that this is what we're talking about. So it was easy to just say, all right, let's look at the mantis shrimp. Let's, bring this, this, uh, let's shift the focus to, to, and put the spotlight on this creature and tie it into Henders Island. Um, could you talk uh, about, um, a, a, as, a, as a writer, w when you're working on this kind of novel, um, you're integrating, you're dealing with science that's totally cutting edge, and, and you have to keep up on this. Were there any parts where you, had, where you found that the science you had used last week had been yeah. upgraded by the science that happened this week? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, in fact, there are constantly um, uh, new discoveries very similar to, to Henders Island on, on a smaller scale, um, on a species-by-species -species scale. And there are constantly stories of new ecosystems being discovered under the ice of Antarctica or um, in the wilds of New Guinea or Indonesia. Um, we, we're constantly finding out about whole ecosystems with dozens of new species we've never recorded before. And this was popping up in the news all the time during the writing of this book. And actually, it, it, it just helped me. I, I had no shortage of examples um, all I needed to do was just keep updating them so that the most recent examples would be, you know, fresh in the book. Uh, but no, it's it's uh, what I found out while writing the, the the book was that 
many of the things that I was dreaming up were, in fact, already dreamt up by reality. Now, as a novel, this uh, fits into a, a kind of a classic uh, monster genre. We live in a world where, you know, it's a 24-hour news cycle, and the last time Bigfoot showed up turned out to be some dead skunks <laughs> in a box. Yeah. <laughs> um, a Halloween costume on ice. Yeah, yeah Halloween costume on ice. Uh, could you talk about uh, the the genre of, like, the hidden monsters, the monsters among us? Sometimes, you know, they're written of as werewolves or vampires that, you know, look like humans but are actually something else. Yes. And you take a different tack with your hidden monsters, don't you? I do, and uh, actually one of the hidden monsters looks just like us. Um, he's, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, and uh, he's, he's dressed in, uh, in unassailable uh, robes of nobility, and when you look under the surface of that, you find out he's, he's really one of the worst monsters in the book. Um, and uh, he's could have fashioned after a squirrel, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he, he, he packs a mean bite. Um, so... That yeah, that was one of my intentions was to show that uh, that monsters are among us. Yes. Now, uh, this is, book is so visual and, and and so striking. I I have to ask, uh, when are we going to see the movie? Well, uh, I can't I can't say too much about it, but we 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 will, and uh, it's it's quite exciting. And um, goody goody gumdrop. <laughs> I have to say one thing: practical special effects. Yeah. The yes, thing, indeed. John Carpenter's the thing. <laughs> I'm a big fan of those myself. Um, hopefully, uh, I'll end up being able to keep a, a souvenir or a prop of some sort, wow. which you can't if it's all made out of pixels. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yes, indeed. It, I, I, I can't say too much about it at this stage, um, but uh, there, there are some some very um, prominent people that I'm working with now, and uh, and it should be quite exciting. I've been speaking with Warren Fahey. His new book. Um, I've been speaking with Warren Fay. His new book is Fragment. Thank you for joining me, Warren. Oh, absolutely, my pleasure, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>